right. Well, again, welcome to Hope Lower Town. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian, uh, lead pastor here, and um, I'm excited to just continue working through the uh, book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul. And again, it's a, that's a word, the apostle that we, that we hear uh, in our culture every once in a while, even just talking about the Bible and you hear the word apostle, just means somebody who is sent out by the resurrected Jesus uh, that they had to have seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. And Jesus said, I want to commission you to go out, spread the good news, the gospel. Paul was one of those. So he uh, is kind of the apostle to the Gentiles, uh, where Peter kind of stayed in Jerusalem and, and talked to the, the Jews and tried to win them over to Jesus as the Messiah. Paul went out and traveled all over the world into these missionary journeys. And um, in his journeys, Christians went and they went back to Rome and started planting churches. Paul didn't plant the church in Rome or the churches in Rome, but he writes them a letter eventually. And so he, this is what, we're, what we've been walking through for quite a while now. This is actually week 41. And and so that's what we're, what we're going to be looking at, that he's going to be writing to the churches in the Rome. This, Paul didn't write this to the church in St. Paul in 2024. He wrote this to the churches in Rome in 50 AD. Um, and so, but we, but it's for us. We get to benefit from what he is writing to them. And so again, it's, it's been a while, but if we went all the way back to the beginning, uh, and if we looked at chapters one through four, we asked the question of what is the gospel? And so Paul is just writing to both Jew and Gentile saying, hey man, we, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We all need Jesus. You can't do it by works. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how irreligious you think you were and you think you can never be saved. Jesus is in the business of saving everybody everywhere. And that's, that's the gospel. And so we have to have that faith and believe in Jesus. And then he's going to uh, spend chapters four through eight that we looked at of like, okay, now in, in, in the light of the reality of the gospel, that I am saved by grace alone, period. How do I, how do I live? How does it impact my daily walk. And even though we strive to, to love Jesus and live in a way that glorifies him and honors him, I still do it by grace and mercy and by the power of his spirit, uh, not on my own doing, even in that, in that case. And so then now we've been looking at chapters nine through uh, 11 in this phrase of did God's plan fail? Because he's going to say, okay, hey, hey, listen, let's go back. I'm writing to a lot of Jews that are in Rome uh, and that are coming back to Rome. They got kicked out by Emperor Claudius, and now they're able to come back into a predominantly Gentile other ethnicity church. Uh, and he's saying, hey, hey, you guys are coming back in now. Am I saying that God's plan failed? That that there was actually the plan uh, for the for the gen or for the Jews, the Israelites, to be saved. It actually didn't work. It didn't take. So hey, here's Plan B. Here's Jesus. And he's going to go in and say, no, 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 that is not the case. It was always Jesus. Everything pointed to Jesus. Even Jesus says, hey, hey, disciples, that the Moses and the, and the, the Old Testament, the Moses and the prophets, they, they, they talk about me. This is all about me. And so that's where Paul then is picking up. And so uh, that is what we're going to be looking at this morning in this passage in Romans chapter 10, 5 through 13 is where we're at. Um, and I've titled this, What Must I Do to Be Saved? Let me just briefly explain why we preach the way we preach. You know, if you've come into hope for a while, maybe you don't fully understand this or, or know why. Um, why is it that we're going to take, I forget how many weeks it is to go through Romans, but it'll be, ended up being a, a year and a half. Um, and so when we get through it though, it's like, why? Why, why do we spend so much time walking through books of the Bible, right? Whether it's New Testament or Old Testament, uh, why, why do we do this? Why do we take our time walking through the books of the Bible? 
the fancy term for that way of preaching is called expository preaching. We wanna expose what God's word says, okay? The other aspect of that is called topical preaching, right? That where, the, where whoever's speaking will choose a topic of their whatever, and they will talk about, hey, here's, here's what I want to preach on this morning, and here's a topic. We, we do that from time to time, okay? We will actually do that this fall, uh, where we will look at uh, kind of have truths that culture will tell us about who we are and what does the gospel say. And that's a good thing to do, because when you walk through a book of the Bible, there's some really good things that come up. There are things that I might not want to preach on, but I have to, because if all of a sudden I skip over a text, you're going to go, hey, wait a second, I've got my Bible here. How come you didn't talk about verses 5 through 13? And, right, and it's like, well, it's a little, a little awkward, all right? It's a little, little difficult to talk about. We don't want to talk. No, 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 we, I have to, right? And so that's a, that's a good thing to do expository and then do topical. I say all that because this passage this morning was used a lot uh, it, it, when I was a child, when I was growing up, and again, a lot of you know my story. Some of you don't, and that's okay, but grew up uh, very religious. Uh, my dad was a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor of these fundamentalist churches um, that that they um, just did things a little bit differently, okay? Really, really intense, right, with with everything. And, and what was interesting is that they would preach, and I'm not dogging it. I'm, I'm, last week I said I counted as dung, all right, which is true, but, I, but by that I mean I count my own works and my self-righteousness as dung, not my childhood. Right? I love my parents. I love, love my grandparents. They, they were great. Um, and they pointed me to Jesus. So I, that's not dumb. That's good. I love, I love Jesus, and I'm glad they taught me about Jesus. But in the churches, though, what would happen is a lot of times the preacher would say, uh, I want to talk on this topic, and they would just go, right? So they would just say, hey, this morning we're going to look at 10 steps on how to raise godly children. And they would go, and they would read one proverb, uh, and then they would just give their own 10 steps, right? And it's like, I Get, get in the text, right? I, like, hey, you're a nice guy. I don't care what you think, right? I want to know what the Bible says about this thing, right? Uh, and so that's why uh, maybe I lean a little bit too heavily in, like, let's let's get a lot of Bible in here, right? Because I want to I want to do that. However, what would happen is a lot of times is we would say, um, we did this thing after the end of every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when we would have church. You're welcome. We don't do that. Um, and we would go to church and, and there was an invitation, right? An invitation means uh, that after the sermon was preached, the, the preacher would get up there and say, every head bowed, every eye closed. And just between you and God, uh, no one looking around except, except me, right? Except the preacher. Um, if, if you have made a commitment to God or whatever, right? raise your hand. And oh, yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. It's great. Right? And, then, and then ask them to come forward and, and give a prayer or whatever it may be and meet with the pastor. And that's all, that's all fine and good. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Um, but in, in what would happen though, a lot of times in the preaching is that someone would just pick a random topic, random topic, random topic. And then every once in a while, they would get up there and say, hey, today I'm gonna preach a gospel message. Right? That, was, that was the thing. Just yesterday, I was with the, this birthday party and my brother-in-law was like, what, is, what do you think the biggest, he grew up in the same circles as me, We've been friends since we were little kids. And, and he said, what do you think is the biggest difference between the way you preach versus the way we grew up and the way it was preached? And my first thought was, I preach the gospel every week, right? Because it's not just a gospel message. Like, because what they mean by that is, here's the gospel door, right? I wanna preach the gospel. I'm gonna package it and patent it and put it on a lunchbox and say, hey, here's Jesus. Okay, cool, now I see Jesus. Now I'm gonna go through this door. Now I'm saved. And then now what we do is we take that neat little package and we give it to other people and we hand it out and say, hey, you need Jesus. What Paul is saying is, this is a gospel path that we walk every single stinking day, 
We, we don't just hand it out to other people. I got to apply the gospel to my life every day. And so that's why we preach the gospel of Jesus to ourselves continually. It's why Martin Luther said, we got to beat the gospel into our minds every single day. It's not just one and done. Now I'm good. Now I live a life that is worthy of the gospel. And so, but today, today's sermon is a gospel message, right? Today, it is explicit, right? If you're like, man, what must I do to be saved? It is right here, right? It, is, it, it doesn't get any clearer anywhere in the Bible than in this text. And so we are gonna walk through this. And yet, what was interesting is I, I met with Paul, what day was that, Tuesday? I forget what day it was. We, we bumped into each other downtown and we were talking about the text and that was Thursday, Never mind. A couple days ago, we, we bumped in down and we were talking about it and, we, and ended up being like, man, this is actually a lot more complex than I realized, this, this text, right? I thought it was like, man, this is a, I'm just gonna give a simple gospel message. And then as I get into it, I'm like, holy smokes, this is actually pretty pretty deep what's going on here. So we'll, we'll get to the gospel, but I wanna give a little bit more of what's going on. Okay, that was way too long of an intro. Here we go, Romans chapter 10, one through four. This is last week's text that we looked at um, because the, the context is gonna be really important. This is the start of chapter 10. The apostle Paul says this, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God for them, that is the ethnic Israelites, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, right? They have this passion to, to worship Yahweh, but they don't know him. They know about him, but they don't know him. Verse three, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own means of righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness, which is what, Paul? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, works-based salvation to everyone who believes. Right? Christ is the end of the, of the law. And I love this quote that uh, we read from Doug Moo. He says, um, and uh, as Israel runs the race of the law, they should always, of course, have their eyes fixed on the finish line. Instead, Paul has been suggesting Israel concentrated so exclusively on the race that they forgot about the finish line, which is Christ. He says, with the coming of Christ, that, that just means the Messiah. Right? It's not a last name. It's not Jesus Christ. I just heard a song, uh, kind of a parody on a forgotten brother of Jesus Christ called Brian Christ. Hit a little too, a little too close to home. Um, my name is Brian, and, and he brewed uh, uh, Miller Light in the wilderness. That was perfect, uh, but he wasn't, right? <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Um, anyways, Christ is not a last name, right? It's not Jesus Christ and James Christ and Brian Christ. That's not how that works. Christ just means the Messiah, the anointed one, Okay. So at the coming of the Messiah, that finish line has been reached, but Israel does not recognize it with this imagery in mind, telos, that is end, which, which is in uh, the translation we've been going through Romans is our English standard version, the ESV. It uses that word end, that Christ is the end of the law, but it's the same sense of climax or culmination, which is what normally the, the text we use, the NIV, uh, that is the culmination. He completes it. He, he finishes the law. He's the finish line, right? There's nothing else that we can add to this. He has crossed the finish line. And then continuing, Christ does end the law in the sense that the arrival means an era of the Torah is over, meaning this Old Testament um, a list of rules and regulations of how I should live or how I shouldn't live. And if my donkey falls into a hole, what am I supposed to do in that situation? He's saying, yeah, in, in that sense, yes, yeah, sure, that's over. But also the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the law's goal. As the law was instituted by God for a set time and a set purpose, it prepared Israel for the coming of the Messiah. 
now that the Messiah has come, righteousness is available for everyone who believes. So we have this old covenant, this old way of living under law that has now become obsolete because of what Christ has done. And so using that illustration of this finish line, right? Jesus says it's finished. He's on the cross. One of the last things he says, it is finished. And then he gives up his spirit and we try to act like we did something. We try to act like, oh no, Jesus, hey, thanks for finishing the race with us, but now, now let's keep going. We, we got to keep running. And he says, no, 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 just, just stop. It's, it's finished. Right? We might look at Jesus and say, thank you for finishing the race for me, Jesus, but did you see how well I ran back there by myself? Did you see what I did, right? And we, and we want to puff ourselves up on how religious that we are, or we look down on somebody for being irreligious, right? Hey, Jesus, did you see, I, I did really well. Did you see how bad my dad did? Uh, he, he just did not do that well. He didn't depend on you at all. What a fool, right? And it's, it's like, Jesus is like, do you, you hear yourself? Uh, I said it's finished <laughs> by faith, okay? So we're going to keep this image in mind as we move forward. And again, if you've been coming to Lower Town for a while, you might be sick of this image. I don't care. I, I hope that this has helped, this image of how to study our Bible. And so we, every uh, year, Paul and I teach a class at Hope called Hermeneutics. I don't know if we call it 101, but I'm calling it right now Hermeneutics 101, just meaning how do we interpret the Bible? How do we study the Bible? And step one is grasp the text in their town. What did it mean to them? When the original readers read what was written to them, what did it mean to them? It didn't, probably doesn't mean the exact same thing for them to us, okay? So we got to do some work. We got to gauge the width of the river. We got to look at culture, time, covenant, situation, right? And then we cross the principalizing bridge, what was true to them, but also could be true for us. And then we consult the biblical roadmap and then, and then finally we can apply it. Now we can grasp the text in our town. Paul, we're going to watch Paul do this today, Paul is going to do this. He's going to grasp the text in their town, the Israelites from thousands of years ago, and then he's going to cross the principalizing bridge and he's going to say, this is what it means today in light of what Jesus has done on the cross. Changes everything. Changes how we read our Old Testament. So let's get into the text this morning. Paul says this in verse five, for Moses, again, Old Testament, Old Covenant, writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. So Moses writes about works-based righteousness, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. He's quoting here a passage in Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus is just an Old Testament book that is law. I mean, a lot of it. The Levites were the, uh, the priests out of all the, the, there was 12 tribes of Israel and the Levites were chosen to be the priests. That if you were a Levite, you became some sort of priest in the nation of Israel. And they got their own book, Leviticus, right? The Levites, Leviticus. And there's all these laws that are given to the Levites. And this is one of them. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. That's what's happening. So Paul is asking the question, what did the do, do this and live mean to the Israelites thousands of years ago? He's saying it is part of the Mosaic covenant. It's part of the, if you do this, you will live, you will prosper. If you don't do this, you will be destroyed. And he's talking about physical, physical prosperity. He's talking about physical land. 
Again, Doug Moo says this, in its context, then Leviticus 18.5 is not referring to the attaining of eternal life, a concept not well-developed in the Old Testament. The Old Testament says very little of the afterlife. They say that's not even what's on the mind of the original reader. So when we grasp the text in their town, we think, oh, he's this life of promises. He's not talking eternal life. He says the life in view here, as typically in the Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, in these kinds of texts is the blessing of God's covenant promises, health, fruitful crops, security in the land. And he quotes somebody else here that I, I forgot to put in the footnote, but he says, a happy life in which a man enjoys God's bounty of health, children, friends, and prosperity. That's the context. That's, so Paul says, grasp the text in their town. He meant a literal, physical, now, life in a land, happy life. If I obey this, I live. If I don't, unhappy life, right? Paul is going to continue and he's going to quote <clears throat> next in the passage that we're about to read, Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. I'm going to read that passage in Deuteronomy first, and then we'll go back to Romans and see what Paul is saying. He says, for this commandment, this law that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. So he's going to give all these commandments, look at all these laws. Deuteronomy is the last book of the, those first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All that I've commanded, it's not too hard for you. You can do this. Neither is it far off. Neither, uh, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us or bring it to us that we will hear, hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea or the abyss, uh, same, same word that Paul's gonna use in, in the New Testament, that you should say, who will go over the sea or the abyss for us and bring it to us that you may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it, right? This is why the apostle Paul says that the Israelites are blessed. They were given the oracles of God. They were given the word of God. Do this and don't do this. There's no more guessing game. And how do we honor the creator? So then Paul in this passage in verse six says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now, let's see what the Apostle Paul is doing. The Apostle Paul is taking a text written under the Old Covenant about the Old Covenant in their town. And he's saying, now let's bring it into my town. Let's bring it into our town. Let's cross the principalizing bridge and say, what do these verses that were showing this law-based righteousness, how does that scream now, Jesus, faith in Christ? Right? That's, what's, that's what he's doing, right? Grasp the text in their town with a passage that you used to be interpreted very differently before Christ. You all know my love and passion for R.C. Sproul. Uh, I was reading his commentary this week, and when I got to these verses, this is what Sproul says. This is difficult to understand. I'm not sure exactly what Paul means here. It's like, come on, R.C., man, you gotta, you gotta give me something, you know? Uh, and then he, he says, if he makes up something, I don't know. I mean, maybe he doesn't make it up, but it's like, I don't know where that came from. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, you, you made it even more confusing. Um, so we're going to go now in, in R.C. Sproul's defense. He did not have Doug Moo. Okay. Uh, so so we'll, let's, give our, let's give him a little bit of grace here. Um, Doug Moo, though, he says this. He gives multiple explanations. And this is the one that I, for, I, I could have gone through him, but this one is exactly what I think is happening. And also Moo does as well. The best explanation for Paul's use of Deuteronomy 30 text 
is to think that he finds in this passage an expression of the grace of God in establishing a relationship with his people. As God brought his word near to Israel so they might know and obey him, so God now brings his word near to both Jews and Gentiles. They might know him through his son, Jesus Christ, and respond in faith and obedience. Because Christ, rather than the law, is now the focus of God's revelatory word, Paul can replace the commandment of Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14 with Christ. He's saying it's saying the same thing. It's always believe and believe and have faith in the promises of God, faith in the promises of God. But the promises of God then were this physical obey and be saved, have life. And so now Paul is saying, how do we grasp that in our town? That's now Jesus. We now have faith in Jesus. And he sets us free from this law. God needs to give us this faith to believe, right? And so the case in point, he's going to say, well, he's not going to say it. I guess I'm going to say it, right? To, to build this thought and idea is to look at the sacrificial law. When you sin against God, right? He's going to say, right? Just think about this. The, the law is going to, I'll even pull it up here, Leviticus 4, 35. Uh, and all of its fat shall be, this is a, like a sacrifice. Someone sins and they perform a sacrifice. All of its fat shall be removed as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings and the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed and he shall be forgiven. Now, what's interesting? He just got done or he's about to say in Deuteronomy chapter, chapter uh, 30, this is not too hard for you. All right, in other words, you can do this. But Leviticus builds into it failure. In other words, Deuteronomy is not saying, hey, you can be perfect. He's saying you can live under the law. You can obey the law, but even under the law, you will sin. You are gonna fall short of the glory of God. And so there's gonna be needed a sacrificial system that's gonna happen. And Paul's saying, well, let's, let's look at what's changed here right? Because the covenant went from old covenant to new covenant. Works-based faith or works-based uh, righteousness is now changing to faith-based righteousness. And it's always been the same thing though. I still have to put my faith, right? That the people haven't changed from old covenant to new covenant. We haven't become less sinful than people under the old covenant. What changed is the actual sacrifice, the sacrifice has changed. It's no longer a bull or a goat or a sheep or a dove or fill in the blank. It is God himself who is the sacrifice. It is only his blood that atones. The sacrifice has changed. And when we read these texts in Leviticus, and we look at the sacrificial system. These sacrifices don't take away sins. What is it that takes away the sin? Is it just going through a religious act killing an animal and seeing its blood be shed and go, oh, see, now I'm good with God. Or is it the heart and the faith behind the sacrifice? Well, we see this all over the place in the Old Testament that it is for sure the heart of the individual, not the actions in which they're doing. That has not changed. In Isaiah chapter one, Isaiah, just an Old Testament prophet, to his people Israel, telling people what God is saying to his people. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Hold on a second, God. <laughs> Wait a second. Now, hang on. Now you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You, you just said 
to sacrifice these animals and we've been doing it and now you're saying you don't want us to do this? Hold on, what's, what's happening here? Verse 12, when you come and appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. God, you, you told us how to worship you. He says, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Right? You want to lift your hands and worship? He said, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not even going to look at you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. What is God saying here to his people? Is he saying, don't, don't do sacrifices? Because I'm pretty sure very explicitly you said, perform a sacrifice when I sin. But now you're saying you don't want me to do it. What is God getting at through his people? And not just in Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Hosea and, and the Psalms are full of this. You don't care about these sacrifices if my, my heart is not in this. You desire a contrite heart. You desire a heart that is full of faith and belief in who you are. That's what you desire. And that part of the covenants hasn't changed. And the apostle Paul is saying, see, look, look, this is the same thing. I can use the same text to talk about this righteousness based of law and say, see, we need Jesus. We need a new and a better sacrifice. We see this very explicitly in Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Even if your faith is good and I believe and my heart is contrite and I wanna perform this sacrifice, it's not saving me. My faith is what's saving me. He says otherwise, or, or the author of Hebrews says otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifice, there's a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So then the apostle Paul is gonna say, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Again, he's quoting the Old Testament and he's saying some things have not changed, but something has changed. God, get your focus off of the race and being a good person and focus on the finish line, focus on Jesus Christ. Oh, and, and by the way, Paul is saying the race is finished, right? He's on this side of the cross the same way we are. He said, look back, look back, the finish, it's already done. It's already, he finished it. So stop trying to run the race. It's done, it's finished. This Messiah, right, this new covenant in his blood, they were promised all the way back, even in the Old Testament though, Old Covenant, Jeremiah, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, which is the argument that Paul is making here. So now where is the gospel message? What's happening? This is a camp I attended in middle school, somewhere in Wisconsin, I forget where. Has anyone ever heard of Camp Kobiak? Does anyone know Camp Kobiak? Hey, all right, well, one's heard of it. All right, all right. Did a water break? Did I preach the baby out? No, oh, man. I was, I was hoping for that. Her due date's tomorrow. I'm allowed to say that. Um, it's not true. <laughs> we can edit that out in the recording later. Uh, Camp Kolbiak. All right, what is this? So this is, this is wild. So when I was a kid, um, I, again, just middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, went to this camp somewhere in Wisconsin 
And um, it was a fun, fun camp to go to. And I always, uh, just based on the name, I assumed it was uh, some kind of Native American uh, word or tribe or something that I wasn't familiar with. I don't think I'd ever seen it spelt like that. It was just Kobiak, right? It would just have Kodiak, have Kobiak. I mean, it sounded like a, like a word that I might know. Uh, and, and, and that's just what I assumed. Uh, and then I go to college and I'm at Maranatha Baptist Bible College in Watertown, Wisconsin. And lo and behold, my roommate, uh, his dad was the director of Camp Kobiak. And I asked him, I was like, what is Kobiak? What, is that, what does that mean? Uh, what, is the, what is that word? And he was like, oh, it's, um, it's not, I don't know what you call it because it's not an acronym because it's the first two letters of three words. Co is come, be, believe, ek is accept. Okay, so it was short for come, believe, accept. I was like, wow, that was not what I was expecting that word to mean, right? And this is based off of this passage, based on this gospel text, right? You gotta, you gotta hear the word of Jesus be preached and you gotta believe it and accept him as Lord. It's all you gotta do, right? And that, that's what I'm saying, right? Getting campers on the right path. And so let's look at this, this gospel message that he's gonna have in the rest of this text from this morning. He says this, because based on all the little hermeneutic things that, that Paul just went through, and he's like, Layla, we can now take the Old Testament, look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. And he says, because after all of that, faith in the promises of God, which is now Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved, right? He said, it's not about just doing the works and being a good person and running a good race and performing sacrifices and just going through the motions and being religious. He's saying it's faith and a heart. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me um, just share with you a quick story of how nerdy I was. Um, before I had transferred to Maranatha Baptist Bible College, I was a student at Bob Jones University in South Carolina. And if you've heard of it, great, good for you. Um, <laughs> wild, okay? But this is what I did. Every room had a, a, a landline. Some of you might know what those were. And, and you, would, uh, you could call any dorm room you wanted. And me and my, my roommate, we were um, <laughs> religiously superior to everybody, right? That's what we thought, right? We, we knew everything. And so what we would do for fun, this is how, this is how weird I was. You're like, was? <laughs> You're a dork. All right, we would randomly dial a number uh, and get a random room number, right, in the, on, on campus. And, and we would call them and we would say, we would like prank call people and ask them theology questions, right? That's what we would do. And, and I would say, and so if I got, if, I, if, a, if, a, if, a, if a girl answered the phone, I'd say, hey, is Sarah there? I'm like, no, there is no Sarah. I'm like, well, hey, can I ask you a quick question? I'm like, I just started dating a girl from Bob Jones. She says that I need to, be a, a, I need to believe in Jesus um, if, if, uh, if I want to date her. So what do I have to do to be saved? Ha, what are you going to, I gotcha, right? And, and, and I remember very distinctly, someone quoted this verse. Well, you just need to call on the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. And I was like, well then, Jesus. I was like, that's it, I'm good, right? And then she was like, well, well no. I'm like, well, isn't that the verse you just, right? It's stupid, right? Stupid, arrogant. That's not the point of the verse. The point of the verse is not just, well, just gotta yell out Jesus and you're good. 
Obviously, it's a, there's a heart shift. There's a heart change. My neighbors, uh, a couple years ago now, we were in my neighbor's backyard and, and we were hanging out and we were talking and, and there was a popular, I'm not going to name the name of the guy. He was a serial killer, but it was a popular show a while back ago. And, and he, in prison, uh, puts his faith in Jesus and supposedly he gets baptized and all this stuff. And my neighbors um, were like, wow, it seems like Christianity is too inclusive. Right? It seems like Christianity is saying, hey, well, if you, anyone at any point in their life can believe in Jesus and be forgiven of all the atrocious things that they've ever done, right? And I'm sitting there going, well, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's true, but only if their faith is genuine, right? If it's just that, well, I want to get out of hell free card, no, it doesn't work that way. If it's just, I just want to confess the name of Jesus and, and therefore I'm good. No, 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 there's a, there's a contrite heart. There's repentance that needs to happen. But it was interesting because my neighbors to me sounded like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. The older brother, the one who doesn't leave his dad, he's like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. you're going to let my little brother, the one who abandoned us, you're going to let him back in the family. You're going to kill the fatted calf. You're going to welcome him. You're going to embrace him. And, and, and the older brother's like, dad, you didn't even give me a goat. And he's like, what do you need a goat for? There's a party going on for your younger brother who was lost and now he's returned. And my neighbors in that point sounded very like the older brother, right? We got to earn it. There's something that we got to do to be forgiven, right? And Jesus says, no. He actually tells a parable. It tells a story in Matthew chapter 20, just for time, I'm not going to read it. But in this is the, the parable of, of, this, uh, of the, these workers, these laborers in a vineyard. And he goes to his servants and he says, hey, I want you to go out into the field and I want you to work and I will give you a denarius, a day's wage, if you go do this. Time goes on, you know, four or five hours go by. It's lunchtime. The owner of the field goes into the marketplace. He finds some more people just standing around. He's like, hey, what are you guys doing? They're like, nothing. He's like, well, why don't you go work in my field? And if you do that, I will pay you a denarius. I'll give you a full day's wage. Okay, yeah, cool. So they go. And then it gets to the last hour and he sees some more people standing around. He goes, hey, why don't you guys go into the field? Why don't you, why don't you work for me and I'll pay you? And they're like, yeah, great. So they go do it. At the end of the day, it says they're all in line, right? Waiting to get paid. And, and the master of the house, the person who worked just a couple hours, he's like, here's your denarius, right? And the guys in the back, they were like, man, we've been here all day. He's gonna give us a ton of money. Like, here we go. And it gets up to them and they get to the front of the line. The master says, here's your denarius. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not fair. And he says, it's exactly fair. It's exactly what I said I was gonna pay you, right? Just because someone at the last moment believes in me and is saved doesn't mean I am unable to forgive them of their sins. And this is why I asked you, uh, did you meet anybody, right? Was there, are you expecting, right, something? Did you meet them on the ground floor? Because we have this expectation of exponential growth, right? Well, I invested in this company on this ground level, right, this startup, and it grew exponentially, right? Uh, I bought this rookie card of this, this kid who, who I, they're just, they're supposed to be really good. And I bought it when I was 12. And now here we are, it's worth millions, right? You guys got a million dollar rookie card somewhere. All that, right? We, we just, there's just this expectation and we still have this, right? We don't like bandwagon fans, right? Nobody likes that. Like, oh, you just like them because they're winning, right? You like them because Taylor Swift cheers for them. What are you talking about? She is a fan. Jesus, though, here is saying fairness and grace are not mutually exclusive. And so when we read this passage, when we hear the gospel, do, do we make Christianity too exclusive, right? Do we say, hey, don't, don't associate with them. They're not running a good race, 
they don't look like they love Jesus. Are we being too exclusive? Even though Jesus is exclusive in the sense that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes under the Father, to the Father, but through me. That's exclusive. But the thing is, he makes that promise and that declaration to everybody. And if anybody believes, do we believe that? Do we believe that anybody can believe in Jesus and be forgiven and saved? Are we too inclusive? Hey, we're just here to love. Just want to love all people. We want to tolerate everyone. We want to accept everyone for who they are. Are we too inclusive? Excuse me. Right, but I would argue that we need to love the way Jesus loves. And when he loves people, he's okay pointing out their sin and their weakness. He's okay saying, you're falling short of the glory of God and you need me. Now we're not Jesus. We don't say you need me. We say you need Jesus the same way I need Jesus. Are we too inclusive in that way? But here's what I know regardless of your upbringing, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your marriage status, regardless of your economic status, your educational status, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Another fun fact, started off this message by saying the Apostle Paul here is writing to whom? The church in Rome. The Apostle Paul is writing this gospel passage to people who already believe the gospel passages. He's saying, we we need this. Even though I'm a follower of Jesus, I need this. I need to be reminded I'm not better than anybody. I'm in need of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And the person who is on their deathbed, we can continue to pray for them that they would repent and turn to Jesus because all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Do we believe that? Do we want that for them? Have they earned it? For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. The scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same is Lord, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So in gospel application, in conclusion, with the heart one believes and is justified. Are we too inclusive? Are we too exclusive? Are we just pointing people to Jesus? Are we worried that they're just having a little bit too much fun in this life and they're not really repentant or should we just keep pointing people to Jesus the same way that we need to keep pointing ourselves to Jesus over and over Again, Jesus told us that the race is finished. We can't expect other people to do better and be better and run faster and run harder or stop running so hard. He says it's finished. And so we get to at Hope every single week here at Lower Town, we have communion. We have an opportunity again to take these elements, the bread, this wafer that represents the broken body of Christ for our sins, that, 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 that represents the wrath of God that was put out on him that we couldn't pay for, regardless of how religious or irreligious we were. And then the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us, that was poured out on our behalf to remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. He yells, it is finished. 
And so we can read just these powerful gospel messages. And if you're in here and you said, man, I've been trying, I've been working hard. I've been trying to be a better person. I've been trying to work and be, I'm trying to get back into church and trying to do, do more things for my community, whatever it means. Jesus is saying, stop it. If you're trying to earn your salvation, it's pointless. And if you're on the other side of it going, I, I can't, I, I'm not, I'm never gonna be good enough. Jesus is saying, stop it. You're not gonna be good enough. You are never gonna be good enough. I'm the only one who's good enough. And those of us who are followers of Jesus, fully devoted followers of Christ, to be able to look at people and say, ah, I don't know if you're good enough. I don't know if you just, I don't know if you've done enough. That we would love people the way that Jesus has taught us to love and point them to him and say, all you need to do is believe in the promises of God. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The band's worship team is gonna come back up here and they're gonna play two songs. During that time, feel free to come up, grab these elements. You don't need to be a member of this church or a member of any church, but if you say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've bent the knee to King Jesus, I would love for you to partake of these elements. And as we take them, remember, just hear Jesus screaming out on the cross for your sins and the sins of everyone and anyone who puts their faith in him. It is finished, was his cry. Let us pray, and then we will continue worshiping through song and through these elements together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, just to be able to look at just such a clear example and presentation of, of what the gospel is, that it is by faith, it is belief, that the heart believes and the mouth confesses. We admit that we are wrong. We admit that we're sinners. We admit that we've fallen short of your glory. And there is nothing, no matter how good we think we are, how good and how religious we might be, that we will always continually fall short doesn't matter how early on the ground floor of Christianity and, and, and the cost of discipleship and, and things that we've made to say, oh yeah, I've earned your love and this person hasn't. God, we, nobody has earned your love. Jesus has earned your love. He is love and he freely pours out his love on anyone and everyone who believes. And so would we, would we know that? Would we believe that? Would we share that gospel? Would we proclaim you who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light with our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, and believe that you are a God who loves, you are a God who is at work. And so God, pray now as we take these elements that we would just remember it is finished and uh, that we would just put our faith and trust in you that uh, we would not try to atone for our own sins, that we'd not try to work ourselves and work our fingers down to the bone by trying to be more righteous, but just rest in you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.